The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. All right, guys, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13. What we're going to be doing our study today on will be the man named Samson. You guys know Samson? You guys, everybody knows Samson, right? Jawbone? Killing Philistines? All right, he's way, honestly, this, I, I've, I've never really like spent time or did a full-on study through this guy's life, but it is the most crazy thing you'll ever see in your entire life. He's got the most crazy stories going on, and it'll blow your mind. So I'm excited. We're going to be in, uh, in Judges chapter 13, and the title of this study is The Hero Who Doesn't Really Seem Like a Hero, But He Is. That's the title. It's, it's too long? It's too long? The, the hero who doesn't really seem like a hero, but he is. I, I promise. I'm going to work through that, that title by the end of this whole thing, okay? So, uh, that being said, uh, the life of Samson spans about four chapters, which we have nowhere near enough time to cover tonight. So, the way that I'm going to work through it so that we get the, the gist of his life and, uh, and an encouragement that we can pull from the example that, uh, that is his life is I'm going to give you the, the overview uh, the background of his life, and that's going to be in chapter 13. And then 14 through 14 and 15 are going to be uh, some events that happen in his life. And then 16, which is the culmination of his life or his story in the Bible, uh, we're going to get to see what happens to him, and we're going to get to draw a little bit from that. It, it's honestly, I'm going to read some of this stuff, and you guys are going to just trip out. But it's a good story, and I promise there's some good stuff to get. And so, Lord, uh, we're so thankful that, again, you bless us with opportunity to gather together in this amazing setting uh, with kids' worship going on over there, uh, with a cool breeze, with nice soft grass, uh, with a million bugs. That's great. Uh, We love you, Lord. We're so blessed um, in this life that you've given us. And so, Lord, we're just thankful for this opportunity. We pray that it would be fruitful. And so we just um, commit this time to you. We commit our hearts and our minds and our ears and our thoughts to you. And we ask you, Lord, through your living and eternal word, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, that you would minister to us, that God, uh, like the perfect laborman you are, that you would work in our hearts and that you would tear up things that are not of you, that you would build up things that are of you, Lord, and that you would change and transform us from the inside out. We, we desperately need the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, you have great power in our lives when we yield ourselves to your word. So that's what we're doing now in this moment, Father. And we just ask you to have your perfect way uh, and speak to us. We beg you, Father, in your precious son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, background. Uh, chapter 13 of the book of Judges. Uh, well, let me do a little build up before we get to that. So uh, the history of Israel goes like this. They, there was Joseph. He went to Egypt. He rose to power. His brothers came and he and all of his relatives, after a whole bunch of drama, stayed in Egypt for a long time. And the nation of Israel rose up. The Hebrew people rose up. They were uh, put under, into slavery by the Egyptians. And then a deliverer rose up. Who's the deliverer? The deliverer? 
of the Egyptian, of the Hebrew people. Moses, that's what I'm talking about. All right. The, the deliverer rose up. He, he took them out. He delivered them through with great signs and wonders, the Bible tells us, uh, and the power of God. He delivered them out of the Egyptian captivity. They wandered through the wilderness for what should have been just a, about a week, uh, but because of their hardness of heart and their disobedience, um, they make it to the promised land, and uh, they send 12 spies in, 10 spies uh, come back with a bad report saying there's giants, it's scary, we don't want to go into the promised land. Two of them come back, Joshua and Caleb, with a good report that say, let's go take what God has given us, men of faith. Great, I told you, we were, we were going to do Joshua, but we didn't. So uh, Joshua and Caleb come back. So actually God says, if you don't want what I'm going to give you, then wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation, that whole generation that came out of Egypt, died there in the wilderness because they didn't want to take hold of what God had for them. And so after that whole generation died, uh, Moses, who was also unable to enter into the promised land because he misrepresented God, uh, he passes his leadership mantle over to the person of Joshua. And Joshua goes into the promised land and begins to have victory. Um, that's a whole other thing. So he's going and he, it, the land is already occupied by Canaanites, uh, big old giants. Uh, it's crazy. They've got cities built. They're, they're smart. They're big and they're strong. And God sends the, his people, the, the Israelites, into the promised land to take it. So God told them some very specific promises. He said, when you go into this land, do not mix with the culture there. Do not mix with the people for they will dilute you. you will, they will water you down and you'll eventually be destroyed. Stay to the right. Don't turn to the left. Everything that my word tells you to do, just obey it and you will be fruitful and you will prosper. And so Joshua, he goes through this conquest. That's the whole book of Joshua taking over the whole promised land. And once they've conquered a major portion of it, Joshua's up in years and he dies. And so after Joshua, this leader of God dies. After Caleb, one of the few remaining leaders die, the people then begin to fall back into idolatry by mixing and mingling with the people from the promised land, from the, the Canaan. Canaanites. Now, in that area, so we just generally refer to them all as Canaanites, but there were, uh, there were people from all kinds of different towns. Some of them that we're going to see here, um, we'll, we'll get to them, but there's people and they're, all, they have, they're from different regions in there. And so basically the, the Israelites begin to mix their culture and their religion, and they do the thing that God told them not to do. They mix themselves with this pagan religion, this pagan nation, and uh, so they then get brought under captivity by this pagan nation. Um, they're not necessarily like slaves to them, but they treat them poorly. They they take all their food. They whenever they have, and that's when we get to the the book of Judges. Judges is the time after Caleb has brought the children of Israel into the Promised Land. Uh, then he begins to raise up men and women uh, who who can deliver the children of Israel from the oppression of the Canaanites, who they who they in in their weakness melded with and meshed with and begin to compromise to. And so God raises up judges to deliver the people of Israel. And so that is where we are in our, in our, in our portion of reading tonight. Uh, we're going to see a very specific judge. His name is Samson. And Samson is a very weird character because he's, through the summer series we've been going through, we're looking at uh, heroes of faith, right? And Samson is in the hall of fame of faith. For some reason, 
Samson is in there, and yet you're going to read through his life, and his life does not look like an example of what faith or what godliness or what holiness or what perfection or what anything good should honestly look like. It's, it's weird. And so I, I, as I was doing the study and kind of working to it, we have to get to the end of the book to finally understand the reason why God placed him in that hall of fame. And so um, let me say this about Samson. He is a judge who God raised up to deliver the people of Israel. Uh, he was born to a man named Manoah and his wife, uh, who was unnamed, but she was barren. And God, the angel of the Lord, came down and said, uh, I'm going to give you a son, and, uh, but he will be a Nazarite his whole life. So uh, a Nazarite is a person who takes a very specific vow unto the Lord. They won't drink wine. They won't eat anything from the vine. They won't touch dead bodies, and they don't uh, cut their hair. That was the big Samson one, right? Everybody knows that. The reason he didn't cut his hair was because he was a Nazarite, and he was a continual, a perpetual Nazarite. There were two other perpetual Nazarites throughout the Bible. One was Samuel, the prophet, and the other was John the Baptist. He was actually a perpetual Nazarite. He had long hair, and he lived in the desert. Remember that? So that was John the Baptist. And then we also have an example of a Nazarite vow being taken by Paul in the New Testament when he uh, is about to go up to the temple right before he gets taken by the Jews again. But he had cut his hair to offer it unto the Lord. He had taken a Nazarite vow. And so basically the angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mother before he's born and says he will be a very special person. He will deliver the people. The word that's actually used is he will begin to save or bring salvation to the nation. Uh, and that is, that is, he will be their deliverer. He will be their savior is the actual Hebrew word that's used in chapter 13. Uh, but God says there's some very specific rules you have to follow. He, he can't touch dead bodies. He can't cut his hair for his whole life. He can't. It was just a, he had to take a Nazarite vow. Uh, if you guys want um, to look, uh, Leviticus, I believe, 6 has um, number 6 has all the rules of what a Nazarite vow looks like. So, again, I'm just giving you the background. So when we start looking at Samson, it'll all kind of come together. All right. So. All this happens. Uh, Samson is <clears throat> Samson is very um, Samson is is supposed to be set apart. He's supposed to be consecrated to God. The word Nazarite is actually a very specific Hebrew word that means set apart or special or on their own. That's kind of the idea. So he was meant to not meld. He was meant to be this perfect example of what God had told the children when they went into the land, and that was. Don't meld with the people. Don't mix with the people. Stay pure. Stay holy. Stay devoted to God. Do these things and you will be blessed. And so Samson is about to get born. And, uh, oh, uh, here's, we got, let's look at how, how many of you guys picture Samson as a eight foot tall giant, 300 pounds? He's not. Is that me? Am I bopping? Let me try not to bop. Samson uh, is actually a very, normal looking man because throughout the Bible, throughout his account, we see people when he does these amazing feats, when the spirit of the Lord descends upon him and he does these amazing things, uh, people are like, how is he doing this? How is he making this happen? What's going on here? So we got to knock that out because that's not biblical. He was just an average looking dude. I don't think he looked like me, but he was an average looking dude. He, he, and when he began to do amazing things, it was evident that God was doing something in his life. And so now let's get into chapter 14, 
uh, verse 1 through 3, and let's look at the life of Samson, okay? Uh, Chapter 14, verse 1, Judges. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye. I want to marry her. Get her for me. His father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe or among all of the Israelites you could marry? They asked, why must you go after the pagan Philistines to find a wife? And again, I want to remind you that this man, Samson, is, is annulled in the, the his, in the eternal word of God for all of eternity as a man of great faith, as a man of, uh, as a man of great faith. And the first instance of him coming on the scene is a picture of compromise. It's not a picture of great faith. We see him yielding to his lust and his desires and his passions. He saw a pretty girl and he said, Samson like, and he went after her. And he even went to his parents and he said, get me that girl. She's pretty. He wasn't very articulate. He just said, get me that girl. She's pretty. He's feeding into, for the very first time, we see this hero of heroes come onto the scene. We see him yielding to his carnal passions. And that will be a theme throughout the life of Samson. And so his parents being the good Israelites, they know, they know the statutes, they know the commandments, they know they're not supposed to meld or mix with the Philistines. And they ask him, why can't you find someone from us? Why can't you just obey the word of the Lord? Why can't you just do what he says? Find an Israelite, keep our bloodline pure, do these things. And Samson says, no, I want that. My flesh wants that. Get that for me. And so his parents yield and they arrange a marriage for him. Verse 4 through seven. <clears throat> His father and mother didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. As Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. At that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaw apart with his bare hands. He did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or his mother about it. When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased. Uh, it's kind of, I told you, you're going to read some of this stuff and be like, what the heck is going on here? Okay, so let me, let me clarify this. So he met this Philistine woman down in this town called Timnah. Whole story about the place of Timnah. It was actually the place that Israel gave to Joshua. And so this is supposed to be like um, a memorial city of, of Israelite purity, uh, of, of connection to God. This is this town, Timnah. And it's obviously been, uh, it's been dirtied. It's been, it's been taken over by the Philistines of the land because he goes down there and he finds this Philistine girl that he really likes. And, and along the way, he, sees, he encounters a lion. I know this is random. Uh, but let me also say this. He is by a what? What does he buy? Samson near the what of Timnah. What does he buy? What does it say there? In verse 5, he's, in a, he's near a vineyard. What was one of the Nazarite vows? You don't take anything. You shouldn't be anywhere near uh, any fruit of the vine. And so um, I got a question. If you are an alcoholic... What is a bad place for you to be around? A bar, right? Uh, if you are doing your best to make really good steps in the right direction and you're trying to 
walk with the Lord and do good things, you, you probably don't want to be going to places like that. This is, again, a picture of Samson doing his own thing in his own power, in his own flesh, not obeying what God had already told him. You are a Nazarite. He had been, we don't know exactly how old he is, but he is old enough to know, I'm a Nazarite. I shouldn't be going near a vineyard. So he's already, again, one step further into compromise, right? He, he just keeps walking. As we go deeper and deeper into this, you'll see this guy keep walking and walking and walking into sin. And so... He, he's walking, and then he encounters a lion. It's, it's random. He catches the lion. The Spirit of the Lord descends upon him, and like Hercules, he rips the lion's mouth apart. It's graphic. It's pretty graphic. We'll, we'll skip past it. So the lion is dead. Uh, let's just leave it at that. The lion's dead. He, he walks. We'll get back to the lion, I promise. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get back to the lion. Uh, so he's walking, and he still goes to Timnah, to go get his Philistine wife, who he shouldn't be marrying in the first place. And what are his words? When Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her. The word pleased that is used there is a very specific Hebrew word that means he was excited. He was pleasurably happy uh, in, being in being in conversation with her. And so we see, again, this kind of sexual sin, this kind of, I'm going to do what I want because it's what my flesh wants. And we see Samson, again, a man in the hall of the heroes of faith, yielding himself to sexual lust and his own desires, disobeying the rules of God. I promise, I'm going to keep bringing this up because I I'm going to drive a point home at the end that's going to be, good for us all. Samson is in this Bible as a testimony for us. And I'm going to give you a little cheat right now because we all do the exact same things that Samson does. Maybe not so strongly, maybe not in the same ways, but we too walk and, and step and play around and compromise. And, and we, we, we think to fool the Lord. And, and what we're going to see in the end for Samson is that well, I don't, want to, I don't want to give it all away. Let's keep going. Okay, so let's get to verse four, uh, 14, chapter 14, verse 8 and 9. It says, Later, when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion, and he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey out into his hands, and he ate it along the way. He also gave some of this honey to his father and his mother, and they ate it. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. What is another thing that a Nazarite is not supposed to come near? Dead bodies. And what does Samson do? He says, in a moment of pride and, and haughtiness, dude, remember that lion that I ripped to shreds like a boss? I'm going to go check it out right now. So he goes back there and he is pleasantly surprised to see bees have made a honey hive in the, the carcass of this dead lion. And what does Samson do? He says, Samson, hungry. Samson wants sweet honey. Samson going to get sweet honey. So he sticks his hand in this carcass and pulls out honey and begins to eat. Again, another step in the wrong direction. And yet he's a hero of faith. All right, I'm not going to bring it up anymore. I'll bring it back up at the end and we'll get there. He's, he's taken another step further away. And you'll see that this vow that he had made before the Lord is breaking down bit by bit by bit. And eventually he will pay the cost for having deserted his vow unto the Lord. And so not only this, but he grabs the honey out and he takes some back. And who does he give it to? He gives it to his mom and his dad. Good Israelites who said, 
We don't want you involved with that girl. Follow the word of the Lord, all this stuff. And what does Samson do? He says, eat some of this honey. Eat some of this honey. And, and isn't, it so, isn't it so common that as we walk and we give ourselves to sin, it, it begins to not only affect just ourselves. It begins to spill over into the lives of the people that are involved in our lives, that we're connected with, that we touch, our friends, our family, our parents. The sin that we yield ourselves to so often spills over into the rest of our lives. And that's what we see happening with Samson. He's a man who just keeps giving himself over, giving himself over, giving himself over. And now we see his family. Now they, his family, uh, is ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. They hadn't taken a Nazarite vow, but they were still Israelites. God had said that no Israelite shall come in contact with a beast of the field who had been ripped apart or a dead carcass. God gave very specific rules to the children of Israel when they came into the promised land to keep them pure and clean and holy. And so if they had dirtied themselves by eating from a, an old ripped up animal carcass, they would have been unceremonially clean and were unable to enter into the tabernacle, were unable to enter and ask for, uh, and they were unable to ask uh, the priests to, uh, to make offerings on their behalf. So again, Samson's sin is now beginning to affect the people around him. Let's see where else this man's sin takes him, okay? Uh, I'm just going to summarize the rest of the chapter because we've got to push, all right? Samson, uh, where are we at? Okay, so let me summarize. Next chapter, this is, what, uh, this is the rest of Samson throws a, a wedding for his, his Philistine wife, him, him and his Philistine wife, and he, he and his pride, uh, with all of his, his buddies there, the Philistines decide to throw him a bachelor party. They give him a bunch of friends, a bunch of Philistine friends to hang out with. Now not only has he walked into sin, but now he's kicking it in the company of sin. He's just hanging out with a bunch of Philistines at his wedding party. And so he gets, and literally the word that, that they, they throw him a party, the word is a banquet, and the word literally means to drink up. That is the word. So this Nazarite is now at a party where there's drinking and there's, you're going to see there's betting and there's like gambling going on. And this is, this is Samson. This is the hero of faith. He throws this party. He, th he gives a riddle to his, his, uh, his groomsmen, if you want to call them that. Um, they can't figure it out. And so Samson, and so uh, the the groomsmen go to Samson's Philistine wife, because they're all Philistines. They threaten her, and they say, get us the answer to this riddle, or we will burn you and your father to death. So Samson's wife, the woman from Timnah, goes back to Samson. And this is important, because we're going to see it in the end chapter of what, what happens. This is a very similar, this is a very, uh, this is a recurring theme with Samson. His wife goes to him and she's begging him, begging him, tell me, tell me what it is. Tell me what the answer to the riddle is. Tell me what the answer to the riddle is. Tell me what the answer is. And eventually he gets so, flat, he gets so fed up, he gets so sick in his flesh, and he says, fine, I'll tell you what it is. He gives the answer to the riddle. The wife gives it to the other Philistine groomsmen. He loses the bet. Uh, he eventually, he had bet them, th this is where it gets weird again. He had bet them 30 changes of clothes. So Samson... <laughs> boss, uh, he, the spirit of the Lord descends upon him, and he goes into a Philistine city, kills 30 Philistines, takes their clothes, and gives them to the groomsmen we lost the bet to. So there we go. Samson. All right. Awesome. Okay, so let's just keep pushing. 
So, um, so Samson now goes, I know it's a lot, but I promise this is all for one purpose here, okay? Samson goes back to his home after being angry that his wife had deceived him. He, he goes back to his home and then he comes back to take his wife again. And she's already been given away in marriage. Her father had given her away. Samson gets mad and uh, Samson is crazy. So he gets a bunch of foxes. He ties 300 foxes. I'm not kidding you. This is in the Bible. He ties 300 foxes' tails together and he sets them loose in the field of the Philistines, the grain fields of the Philistines, destroys their whole crop. So at this point, Samson has killed a bunch of Philistines and destroyed all their crops. God, let me just say this, will use the most imperfect vessels to complete his purposes. They were not supposed to be in that land. That was not the Philistines' land. That was Israel's land. But they had yielded themselves and allowed it to be okay that they stayed there. And so God is systematically through Samson, destroying them, even though he is in sin, even though, and let me say this, even though we fail, even though we make mistakes, do not be surprised if the, if the Lord is still able to complete his purposes through your life. Now that is no excuse, and that is no reason to think that your sin is okay, but he is a God that is above anything, anything that you can do to try to foil his plans. So, so basically, Samson is, is walking further and further in sin, and God is still using him to complete the purpose of driving out the Philistines from the land that was promised to the Israelites. We're getting there, I promise. Let's keep going. Verse, let's go straight to verse 16. We're going to skip 15. Let's go straight to 16. Verse 16 Verses one through, chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together, waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we will kill him. So Samson has fallen further into the deep end. It was originally just uh, walking by a vineyard. And then it was marrying a, a Philistine woman. Then it was getting his parents to sin. And now sin is just running rampant in his life. And, and, and without even a, a, a blink, right? Samson goes down to a town called Gaza where the Philistine, it's, it was like a Philistine stronghold. Go down to the town of Gaza to spend the night with a prostitute. And, and it's not even a thought. It's not even a, it's not like, Oh man, what is he doing? This is the place that Samson's life had taken him. He had made compromise after compromise and he had yielded himself and yielded himself and yielded himself. And isn't it the same way that as we yield ourselves, as we give ourselves over to wicked and sinful things, we find ourselves doing things that we never would have thought. I've been there. I've been there. I've been to the place where I was doing things that I never would have ever thought as a Christian because I had given myself to compromise time and time again. And the encouragement for you is don't be Samson in this way. Don't be Samson. Take account. Understand that compromise at any point will lead you down a path that can't, look, that will take much work upon the, by the Lord's hand to restore. There's many, many Christians who've done much damage to their testimony and to their walk because one little sin led them down a path that they didn't expect to go. And so we see this man, Samson, hero of faith, hall of faith. And he's going to see a prostitute in the city of Gaza. The, the, the Philistines find out that he's there. 
The Philistines wait for him to get finished, and, he, and they're going to try to kill him. And so this is where Samson meets, uh, oh, well, they try to kill him. They don't kill him. He kills all them because the Spirit of the Lord descends upon him. Again, he's a beast. He just keeps doing this. The Lord keeps using him. But now we're going to get the, to the main focus of our study tonight, Samson and Delilah. This is, this is the main story, right? This is the one everybody knows. I'm going to read verses 4 through 22, and I'm going to break it apart for us, okay? Chapter 16, verses 4 through 22. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah, who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. I'm going to jump around. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes you so strong and what it will take to tie you up securely. This sounds familiar. He's been in this place before. He's had a woman that he loved that he shouldn't have been with, coaxing him into doing things and giving away things that he should not have been given up. So he says, Samson replied, if I were tied up with seven new bowstrings that have not yet been dried, I would become as weak as anyone else. That's not true. We know that the source of Samson's strength is his vow to the Lord and him not cutting his hair. They go through this a couple times. This woman that he loves, Delilah, keeps nagging him and nagging him and nagging him. And it actually says very specifically, um, where is it? And it says in verse 16, she tormented him with her nagging day after day until she... I'm not going to make a joke about this because I will get in trouble. I'm not going to make a joke. Uh, she tormented him. Look, there is no strength greater. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was so sick of it that he gave it up. This is what it, finally Samson shared his secret with her. Cut. My hair has never been cut. He confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as anyone else. And so, uh, I, don't, I, I just picture this. This is what I picture. I picture Samson. You know, he's down there. He's doing his thing. And I picture Delilah sitting at, on the floor. And Samson just comes, just humble, just broken, just puts his head on her lap, and she just starts whispering sweet nothings into his ear. And, and he, just, he just starts cracking bit by bit. He's hearing her over and over, and his, his demeanor, his, his, his strength, his, for, his, his vitality to stand for the things of God is just being drained away from him, drained away from him bit by bit, because he continually puts himself in the situation of compromise, over and over, and eventually he gives it away. He gives it away. And so, let's go to the next verse. It says, Delilah realized he had finally told her the truth, so she sent for the Philistine rulers. Come back one more time, she said, for he has finally told me a secret. So the Philistine's rulers returned with money in their hands. Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with his head in her, with his head in her lap, with his head in her lap, uh, with his head in her lap, and she called, in, she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down, and, and, his, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. Then he woke up. He thought, I will, as I did before, break these chains, break these bonds. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. 
So the Philistines captured him, gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. And so he just, he's, he's, that's it. He's, he's done. He has walked into this place of compromise for who knows how long, years now. Years now he's been doing this. Years. He's been giving himself bit by bit over to this, bit by bit. And now the moment is upon him when he needs the strength of the Lord. He needs God in this moment. The Philistines are upon him. The woman that he loves, she's gone. He can't rely on her. All of his parents, back in wherever they are, can't rely on them. All he's got is him and the Lord. And in this very moment that he needs the Lord, he doesn't recognize that God's presence has left him because of his compromise. And the, and the style of his life up until this point. And this is my point. They gouge out his eyes. This is a very literal picture of, of what sin does to the believer, of what sin does to the non-believer. It blinds us. It blinds us. It takes away. He's bound in copper chains. He has no power. And he didn't even realize that God was no longer with him. I remember what it was like when I didn't even realize that there was a God. And now, as I walk with the Lord, and I think, what would it be like to, to, to not even recognize that His presence has been lifted from me? This is, this is a danger for every Christian who, who desires to compromise and yield in areas that they know they shouldn't. To give into things that they know they shouldn't. This is the reality for every person who does not know the Lord. You are walking blind, chained, and the Spirit of the Lord is not with you. You have no power. You have no power. And this is, this is, the sad, this is our hero of faith. This is our hero of faith. There has to be more to the story. There has to be more. Let's get to the end and, and let's see how he's redeemed. Verses 23 through 31 say this. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, Bring out Samson so that he can amuse us. So, that, so they brought him out to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, Place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there, and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. And Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the, cent on the two center pillars that held at the temple, pushing against them. With both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than when he had lived in his entire life. Do we remember back to the beginning of the story? What was Samson supposed to be? Samson was supposed to be the savior. He was supposed to be the one who was bringing salvation to his people. 
And this is the culmination of his life. He has to cry out in one last moment and a temple crushes him. And that is how God is, is able to fulfill the purpose that he had for him. And I say this, Samson had all the potential to be used mightily by the Lord, to be the Savior, to be the tool that God used. Samson had all the potential. He had all of it. And yet, bit by bit, as he compromised and gave in and compromised and gave in, he found himself in a place that he never thought he would be. And so we look at Samson and we say, dude, you're jacked up, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay away from you. We are the same people. Uh, it's, it's a scary thought, right? We are the same people. All the potential in the world. God has all the potential for your life in the world. God has missions. God has churches. God has, God has salvation. God has everything. All the potential in the world is sitting in, in your soul and God sees it in this very moment. And some of us will choose to walk and compromise until we are nothing and we are crushed at the end of our lives. But there is hope. This is the reason that Samson is in the hall of faith. Because what does verse 28 say again? Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Remember me again. Something, you see, as I look at all these heroes of faith, I see they're all jacked up. They all got messed up lives. They're all doing stuff that they should never have done. And still God puts them in there. And it is not because of the things that they've done that make them heroes of faith. Faith is something inside of us. Faith is something that God gifts us. It's inside of us. Do we have active, live, powerful faith that is going after God at all these turns? Do we have active, live, powerful faith? It's not about the things that we accomplish. The reason that Samson is a hero of faith, because in that last moment, he recognized, God, you can still use me. God, you can still take perfect control of my life in this moment. And I know I, I, know I botched it. I know I messed up. I've been walking wrong this whole time, and I admit to that. But God, in this one moment, use my life for the purpose with which you called me for. I spent my whole life in this vow whole life. And you know what? If, if I'm going to get anything, I'm going to get it right now. God, use me in this moment. And we, and this is, this is the beauty, right? We're, we're done here. This is, this is the beauty. Samson, you, we are all Samsons. And we all walk and do things that we should not do. But the beauty is that we are not chained. We are not bound to some pole in the middle of a temple. You sit here free and in your sound mind right now. And whatever you're doing, whatever you're walking in, whatever that is, God can deliver you from it. God can make you free from it. And all the potential that he has sitting inside of your soul that he sees, all the churches that he wants to raise up, all the missionaries he wants to send, sitting inside of you right now, he can activate that again. And for those of you who don't know the Lord, for those of you who, who let, me, let me explain something to you. If you don't know God, he has this amazing purpose and plan for your life. Amazing amazing plan for your life. And in this moment, it becomes necessary that you allow him to break these chains, that you cry out to him one more time and allow him to bring you to this place of freedom again. We've all experienced this here. 
We've all experienced the freedom of crying out to the Lord and being delivered. Now, now if, you, if you haven't experienced that, tonight's the night to do that. But I want to encourage you, my brothers, my sisters. Compromise will always lead you down a path of wasted potential. How many of you honestly believe that you are attaining to the potential of what God has for your life in this very night? Are you, are you really grabbing hold of every single thing that God wants for your life in this moment? That's what I want to know. Ask that question to yourself. And now if you're not, what is stopping that from happening? What is stopping it? You were the only thing stopping it. Because anything is possible with God. Anything is possible with my God. Anything. And so I want to pray. I want to pray for us tonight because I love this setting. I love this place. I think, we have, I think we have the coolest opportunity while we're out here. I think God wants to see this whole side of this park filled. I think God wants to see another church plant come out of here. I think God wants to do amazing things, and he wants to use you guys to do it. He wants to use you guys. But let's not let compromise, let's not let our doubts, let's not let our desires, our carnal passions, the things that we want stop us from allowing God to use our lives. And if you don't know God, don't allow your carnal passions, don't allow the sin that you're in to stop you from knowing God. There's a Savior who came to save every single one of us from all of our failings and all of our shortcomings and all of our sins and every wrong thing we've ever done. He lived a, a perfect and sinless and spotless life so that you could reach the potential that God has for your life. And you need to take hold of him tonight. His name is Christ. He's a savior. He is the true savior. Samson, he was okay because he cried out to God. He gave a good example. You know, in the end, he cried out. Jesus is the perfect savior who we've all been looking for. And he will get you to the potential that God has for your life in this night. All right? That's my, that's my word of encouragement to you tonight. Don't be Samson's living your life. Be Samson's at the end of his life crying out to God. But just do it daily. Don't let it be the end. Be Samson every single day you wake up and say, God, now is the day that you're going to use me. God, now is the time that you're going to use me. Now. I'm not going to. No more compromise. No more. No more compromise. I won't. I, 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 I got to come there, too. I, I struggle. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner, if you guys didn't know. I'm, I'm bad. I'm a bad guy. But God is gracious. And, and every time that I come to him, he's faithful to meet me where I am, and help me. And so let's pray, okay? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, um, so thankful, Lord, um, that you give us examples of, of, of hope in the midst of even failure, of, uh, in the midst of shortcomings, in the midst of weakness, in the midst of doubts and worries, and, and everything that stops us from reaching the potential that you have for us. God, thank you that you give us hope and that you show us that in the moment that we cry out to you you will meet us that God it's not the end for our lives tonight it's not that if we would just repent and if we would just come back to you and if we would just remember the cross and if we would just 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 feel just feel that life of Jesus Christ and that spirit come back into us again that everything can be made new tonight tonight Lord and so I beg you, Father, 
If there is anyone here tonight who, who is struggling in compromise and walk, they, you have set a purpose upon their life and they know it, God, and yet they are not reaching their potential because of compromise, because of busyness, because of every other thing that hinders us. God, I pray that in this night you would give them the strength to cast off every weight that so easily ensnares them. God, that you would give them strength. God, that you'd give them help in time of need. God, that you would lift them up in your arms, Lord and that you would meet them in their weakness. For in their weakness, your strength is made perfect. And Father, I do pray for any person here tonight who does not know you, who is living with their eyes gouged out, blinded by sin, who is living in the captivity and the bondage of sin, who feels the oppression, who feels the weight upon their shoulders every day. I pray, Lord, if there is any here who have not tasted of your freedom, who have not cried out to you, who have not trusted in your son, Lord, that you would meet them in this night. Lord, that that they would run to you with tears. Lord, that you would meet them. I beg you, Father, meet your children. This is the place that you have destined today. And so, Lord, we trust you and we give our lives to you and we give our hearts to you and we give our souls to you. Please, Lord, I I cry out for us corporately. Please, Lord, forgive us our sins and meet us. Use us. Break me free. Give me back my sight. Give me back my vision. Give me back my strength. I want to know you're there. Don't let me grow numb to to your presence. So Lord, I just lift these things up to you. I, I, we love you, Lord. We, we, we're encouraged tonight to know that you are faithful and that you will always meet us, that you will always encourage us. Lord, we love you and we give ourselves to you in your precious son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.